Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Piniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Piniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, a familiar story, the feeding of the 5,000. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces 12 baskets full and those who ate were about 5,000 men plus women and children the word of the Lord thanks be to God It seems, to me at least, as though I was just preaching to this empty sanctuary a few weeks ago, when in reality it was a few months ago, the Sunday after Easter. It was in that time when we thought that by now, surely, we would be able to gather together again. But alas, we continue to wait and hope I pray for all of you that you remain safe and healthy, that you wear masks and wash your hands frequently, 
as that is so far the only known way to avoid this virus or at least make us less susceptible to it. The feeding of the 5,000 is one of my favorite stories in scripture. It's a miracle story that we've all heard many times beginning back when we were in Sunday school for those of us that are lifelong church attenders. It is the only miracle story of Jesus that is told in all four Gospels. This lends credibility to the fact that this event actually took place in some form or another, and it also emphasizes the fact that this story, the feeding of the 5,000, teaches us something very, very important about God, about the work of Jesus, and about discipleship. In the version of this story told in John, there is a small boy with five barley loaves and two fish. In all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're not sure where the food comes from. Could have come from the disciples' own bags. There are three things that each of these stories have in common. In each story, the disciples go to Jesus and say to Jesus, send the people away, send them back to the villages where they can get something to eat. In each story, Jesus tells the disciples that the people don't need to go away, they can sit right there and be fed. And in each story, there are 12 baskets of food left over. When we first learn how to study scripture in seminary, they teach us various types of criticism for digging deep into the text and into the stories surrounding the text. We can employ contextual criticism, literary criticism, historical criticism, and there may be other criticisms that we can employ, but I went to seminary 34 years ago, and so you're going to have to ask Alex if there are others. In, for this sermon, I really began to think about the context in which Jesus is gathered with these 5,000 people in a deserted place and where he tells the disciples to feed them. What is the context in which Jesus finds himself? What is the culture surrounding Jesus? What is the community or who makes up the community? What are the political factors or government factors that affect Jesus as he feeds this crowd? Each of us do ministry out of a particular context. Right now, our ministry, as I alluded to, is preaching to an empty sanctuary so that Worship can go out over our internet waves and we can all be fed and nurtured as God's people. We also minister in a time of great civil unrest again, where there are protests and even riots. We minister in a time where the inequities in our society have become painfully clear 
Black and brown people are dying from COVID at a far greater rate than white people. And children who live in poverty are at a far greater disadvantage than children who live above the poverty line with e-learning, with having to go to school in their homes. Still another part of the context in which Alex and TC and I minister is the tribalism that has taken root in our society. The harsh divide between conservative and liberal, for lack of better words. Those who trained in ministry, like Alex and TC and myself, we each preach out of our own context. My context is different from Alex's because I'm more than 20 years older than Alex, and I'm also a female. Each of you who consider yourselves disciples who are part of the ministry of this church are also practicing your ministry out of your context, out of the way in which you were raised, out of the community in which you live, out of the culture that informs your thinking. Our ministry doesn't just happen in or near the church, it happens in the grocery store. It happens whenever we encounter a stranger. It happens when we meet another person in their need. It happens on Monday nights when we take food to the hotels where our homeless are now staying. It happens on Wednesday night when we have our fresh vegetables available for any who have need of those fresh vegetables. We are urged to live our faith so that that means we take it with us everywhere we go. And how we live our faith is informed by who we are, by what our core values are. I think too often we read the miracle stories of Jesus as if God zaps Jesus down in a place, Jesus performs a miracle, and then God zaps him out of the place. And the reality is that Jesus is a living, breathing human being, just like me, Alex, TC. In the stories we read in the gospel, he is human, and he shows his humanness. He is a man of Middle Eastern descent with skin that is light brown. He is a practicing and faithful Jew he is the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. And although he clearly has a special call from God and a relationship with God that defies our understanding, the human part of Jesus is just as influenced by the culture that surrounds him as you and I are impacted by our culture. People get very upset when we mix religion and politics. We don't think of Jesus as a political figure. We don't understand any aspect of Jesus' life as being political. And in fact, you're right, he wasn't a political figure, not like George Washington or Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump. 
He is not a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Socialist. However, Jesus is still impacted by his political surroundings, and he does speak truth to power. His ministry, like ours, is impacted by what's happening in the world around him. And his whole being is about caring for those who are oppressed by the higher powers and principalities. The Roman Emperor Herod Antipas and his ruthless acts of aggression toward the average citizen of the time affect Jesus, the Roman Empire oppressing the people of Jesus' community, impact Jesus. Jesus knows that he might even become a victim of Herod's brutal actions. And Jesus understands that part of his call is to stand against those actions of a government so that he can bring the word of God, the kingdom of God, to be built in his community. That is part of his call, to change things for the people living then, as well as for all of us that come much later. Ultimately, it is a political system that takes Jesus down. And in fact, on more than one occasion, the acts of Herod do affect the ministry of Jesus. And in this feeding of the 5,000, that shows us one example of where Herod's actions have affected Jesus. Two significant things happen in Jesus' life just prior to the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew's Gospel. The first is that Jesus and his disciples making their way through the um, area of Galilee along the Sea of Tiberias are stopping in various towns. They are healing, they are teaching, they are doing all sorts of things that no one has ever seen or heard before. And one of the towns they stop in is Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And the people there are amazed by Jesus' teaching. They are enthralled, just as people have been in all the towns along the way. Until, until someone thinks they recognize Jesus and they call out from the crowd, hey, isn't he from Nazareth? Didn't he used to live around the corner here? Isn't his mother Mary? Isn't his father that carpenter? Who does he think he is? Where did he learn all this stuff? Jesus hears the rumbling. He recognizes the doubts that are now planted in any authority he might have. And so he and his disciples leave Nazareth. Jesus rejected by his hometown. And then right after that, Jesus learns of the death of John the Baptist. And it was definitely not a death of natural causes. 
John has been beheaded by Herod Antipas, the one who baptized Jesus at the Jordan, the one who proclaimed the way of Jesus, the one who called themselves to repent, called others to repent so that they would be ready for Jesus. He has now been viciously and brutally murdered by Herod at the request of Salome. And why has John been murdered? Because he dared to speak truth to power. He dared to call Herod out for being an adulterer. So Jesus and his disciples are aware of this, and they are aware that what they are preaching and teaching isn't very popular, and they are grief-stricken over John and also wondering what will happen to them, what will be next. Jesus decides to withdraw to a deserted place by himself. The crowds won't leave him alone, however. They follow him wherever he goes, and Jesus, no doubt physically and emotionally exhausted, sees the crowd from the boat he has escaped on. He sees the crowd along the shoreline, and he realizes that he has work that must be done. And so he gets out of the boat and addresses the crowd. Listen again to the first few words of verse 14. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, and he cured their sick. Jesus looks at the crowd, and instead of shaking his head and saying, I can't do this anymore, how much more do these people want from me? What am I supposed to be doing here anyway, God? He looks at them with God's heart, and he sees them, not just masses of people, but he sees their pain. He sees their illness, he sees their need, he sees their hunger. <clears throat> and Jesus stops worrying about Herod, Antipas, and the whole Roman Empire, and instead he focuses on the crowd, and he goes to them in compassion, and he spends the rest of the day teaching and healing. As darkness falls, the disciples begin to realize that there are a lot of people there and there is no food and everybody is going to get hungry. And, well, we all know what happens when people get hungry. They can get angry, impatient, short-tempered. And so the disciples go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I think it's time now. Send these people back to the villages so they can eat. They need something to eat. Now, you've done a great job. Send them back home. And Jesus' response to them must completely stop them in their tracks. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, they don't have to go back to the villages to get something to eat. You give them something 
to eat. There are thousands of people sitting in this deserted place. No planning, no food preparation, no Uber Eats, no catering has been established for this crowd. The disciples have five loaves and two fish between them, and there are 5,000 men plus women and children in that crowd. And Jesus says, get what you have and bring it to me. So they gather up the loaves and the fish, and Jesus blesses it. And in this part of the story in Matthew, we are reminded of the communion meal. Jesus looks to heaven in faith and humility and blesses not just the food, but the creator of the universe who made the food possible, who gave them the food in the first place. And then the food is distributed by the disciples, and Matthew tells us all ate and were filled, and they, the disciples, took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. Over 5,000 people are fed on five loaves and two fish, and there are 12 baskets full left over. Picture each disciple walking through the crowd with a basket, picking up the leftovers, the discarded pieces. They are probably not expecting to find much at all left over, but they go through the crowd to clean up. And instead, they come back to Jesus with 12 baskets full, full, after feeding all this mass of people. Can you see the looks on each of their faces? Some are probably still skeptical, like what kind of sleight of hand trick is this? Some probably have tears running down their face because they're overwhelmed at what they have witnessed. And some probably have huge grins, laughing out loud at this man they are following, at this God whom he serves, amazed at what has been done this time. Twelve baskets full, leftover. Now I want to make sure that we understand one of the most significant points of this gospel story, and it is significant in each of the four gospels, and that is that it was not Jesus who fed the 5,000. Not Jesus. The disciples fed the 5,000. Jesus told them they could do it, and then he sent them to do it. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, let's send these people home, Jesus said, no, keep them right here 
and you feed them. You give them something to eat. You, me, we are the disciples of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We are the ones who have to get out of the boat and look at the crowds with the heart of Jesus. Look at the crowd with compassion. We are the ones called to meet their needs, whether they be hungry, hurt, afraid, sick. God, who is the creator of this universe, the ultimate power of the universe, intends for peace in the world, an end to hunger, the well-being of all families, spiritual wholeness for all people. That's what God wants. An end to hunger, peace in the world, well-being of all people, spiritual wholeness. That's what God desires for our world. God, who wants all of this for our world right now, not in some distant post-mortal body time, but right now, needs each one of us to be the disciples who respond to the call, you can feed them. You can do it. I can do it. Together, we can do it. We already have examples of that. Alex talks, will make an announcement later about the need for fresh produce for our vegetable garden. We're overwhelmed by people who come to get this fresh produce. We feed people, over a, close to 100 people, every Monday night. We do this because together we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We have the compassion. And Jesus is asking more of us. It doesn't matter whether we are conservative or liberal or libertarian or socialist. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It doesn't matter that we haven't gathered in our sanctuary since March 15th. It doesn't matter who we are or how old we are or what gifts and talents we possess. If a world of peace and justice is to be built, we cannot stand around with our hands on our hips thinking it will get better as soon as we get somebody new in the White House. It'll get better as soon as we change the figuration of Congress. It'll get better when we find a vaccine. Things will go back to normal soon. It will get better when the president is reelected. If we want a world of peace and justice, if we want to follow the call of Jesus Christ as disciples, then we need to get moving. The disciples did not wait for the oppression of the Roman Empire to stop. They did not wait for Herod Antipas or any of the other Herods before or after to die. They did their work. They looked at the people and they were filled with God's love. They were filled with compassion. 
And so it is up to us to do this work here and now. It is up to us to build a world where no one is hungry or naked or afraid, where every child gets an equal opportunity education, where everyone has a roof over their head and food on their table. It is up to us to create the world of abundance that God imagines so that everyone is fed and 12 baskets full are left over. God calls us to be the means through which God's work gets done in our world. God promises us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give us the power to do even the craziest and most unlikely things. 2020 has been an awful year. It's been an awful year for so many reasons. A pandemic, the overarching reason. But in the midst of a pandemic, so many people have dealt with hurt and disappointment and isolation and fear and lack of uh, financial means to keep their family together. I'm guessing the rule of Herod Antipas was pretty awful for a lot of people too. And still Jesus looked at the people with compassion and he met their need. That is our invitation. In the midst of canceled graduations and canceled weddings and funerals where only 30 or 40 people can gather, in the midst of the weariness of learning how to wear a mask everywhere we go, of washing our hands all the time, and of doing this day in and day out with no end in sight, in the midst of government failures and political corruption, we are invited to do the work of Jesus. We are invited to look at those we know and those we don't know with the heart of God, with a being that is full of God's compassion for the other. We are invited to feed the thousands with five barley loaves and two fish. And we can do this, and we will do this, because God demands it, and our world is desperate for it. Praise be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.